I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> another cheeky scientist radio show. I am Isaiah, your host, and today we're talking about navigating the new world of R&D careers. A lot has changed since uh, the last year, uh, and what I've done here is I've divided really the career paths into the, the research paths, non-project management, in other words, and then the project management paths. Uh, there's a, a renewed interest in jobs like quality assurance and quality control, and they pay very well now. Business development roles are often uh, within the project management R&D career path. On the research side, we're seeing a lot more user or patient or customer research roles that are available, a lot of information specialist or informatics-based roles, uh, this convergence of, of research with IT that even life science, uh, life scientists and, and chemists and uh, really PhDs from any background can get into. We're seeing the rise of technical development roles. Uh, the key word there is development and expanding into uh, a space as an R&D professional where you're helping integrate uh, these, these, uh, the systems that keep track of data, bring data together uh, from multiple sources, whether external CROs, departments internally, and so forth. We're going to talk about those. Of course, we're going to talk about the difference between the, the junior and senior scientist roles or scientist one, two, and three, all the way up to uh, the director roles that we see a lot of PhDs getting into. I'm excited to jump in and talk to some panelists here first, uh, and then we're going to continue with the material. We're also going to talk about some key skills and how to find a company that's the right fit for you. So let's jump in with our panel. Very, and very excited to bring on our panel. I'm going to have all of them start their videos, and we're going to talk to them a little bit about how they got hired using the, the cheeky scientist methodology into an R and D position. So uh, I want to say thanks to uh, Adriana for being here and uh, Natalie Fredette is here as well. Uh, Subangi is here. Hello. And Anupam is here too. Hello all. Can you see and hear me? Okay. Yes, yeah. you can. Okay. Thanks all for being here. If you can see, so it says sunshine there, but her, it's, her name's actually Nat, uh, Natalie. Hi, Natalie. <laughs> Thanks for getting on here. Um, we had some Zoom panelist link issues. Uh, very, very appreciative for our panelists. So again, if you can see our panelists and you heard them briefly there, please say hello, panelists. So this is your chance to hear from R&D professionals about how they transitioned and the struggles they had. So I want to say thank you all for your time. I know you're all very busy. Uh, I just want to start by having you introduce yourselves and the position and company you're with, if that's okay. And I'll start with you, Adriana. Hello. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. I am a scientist. My position is called Scientist 2 at Biogen, which is a pharmaceutical company. Perfect. Thank you. Please say hi to Adriana. That was easy, right? I'm going to come back to you. <laughs> uh, Natalie, your turn. Hi, everybody. My name is Natalie Fredette, and I'm a model development scientist at Biomarin Pharmaceutical out in the Bay Area. Hello, Natalie. Natalie taught me how to say Biomarin 10 times. Biomarin from the Bay Area. And uh, Anupan, your turn. Hello. Hi, everybody. This is Anupan Mondal. Uh, I am a senior scientist in vivo pharmacology at Genesis Biotechnology in New Jersey. Hello. Please say hello to Anupam and say hello to Natalie if you didn't yet, if you would. And 
Shubangi, how are you? Am I saying your name right? Hello, everyone. I'm Shubangi. So I'm a graduate student at University of Oklahoma, and I'm going to graduate very soon. So I have just recently joined Cheeky Scientists Association. Ah, perfect. Well, glad to have you here. So thank you all so much. Uh, I know your time is valuable, so I want to ask you just a quick two-part question. Uh, what were the challenges you faced in your job search, right? So you, you're all in your career now. If you could think back to before things were, you know, a little bit more rosy, at least on the career front. What, what were things like when you were struggling in your job search? What was that so-called darkest hour? You know, a lot of our attendees are in that challenging moment. So if you could describe that, both the mindset challenges, the tactical job search challenges, and then how'd you overcome that uh, using the Cheeky Scientist principles and programs to get hired? You know, what did you change? What were the aha moments? How, how did the, the, the community and the insights help you? And I'll start with you again, Adriana. Yeah, so um, at the time that I was finishing my PhD, I don't think there wasn't a specific challenge that was external, but for myself, I was already kind of an older PhD student, so I didn't want to waste one second, right? So I wanted to just get a job as fast as possible. <laughs> and also another challenge is that I wanted to switch the area where I was living and just kind of get a job in a different area. Yes. And so that was hard. Yeah, that was, it was challenging, right? And again, it was self-imposed maybe, but it was very challenging and the clock was ticking. And I, that's exactly why I went to the Cheeky Scientist, right? And I would say that for me in particular, once I joined and once I just kind of studied the materials and applied them, yeah. It was extremely easy. I didn't experience any problems whatsoever in my job search, the first one. And then at the time that I got my second job, which is where I am now, again, I went to the, RS, to the RSD, the Research Scientist Society or whatever that's called, sorry. And I, you know, I really, I can just say that it made it so easy. Not one hitch. Hmm. Uh, you know, just following the, the procedure. And I can, you know, say more, more in detail if you want. No, I feel like... Well, was there any particular aha moment or something that helped you? Was it just, was it the community? Yeah, there's some... Resume? No, in my case, just the materials themselves. Hmm. There's some things that are of a lot of value in there. I would say the resume for one. And now in my position, as I have become more senior... I actually do resume screening and phone screening for my group. And I can tell everyone that is here that the, you know, the advice, <laughs> that is exactly right. That is on point. You know, the resume advice offered by Chiki is definitely on point. So, you know, just trust that. Like you, one of the panel says, trust the process, just trust, trust the process, you know, trust the information. It is credible mm. because some people, especially coming from academia, they find that, very mind-blowing, even close friends that have asked me to review the resumes have a lot of problems doing what I tell them to do. They say, are you sure I should write this? This looks wrong to me. And like, just do it. <laughs> Don't question it. Just do it. The second thing that I think is a lot of value is the interview uh, module mm. with advice on A, how to present yourself to an interview, and B, how to do your actual presentation because no one wants to hear your 
overly long and boring thesis work, right? If yes. you're applying for a, an industry and that module just goes into a lot of detail about how to make a presentation. Mm. And I have to say, I think that was the key. The times that I've made my presentation following that, that was like the aha moment mm. that I said, let me just make this presentation exactly how this is suggesting. And people, it, it has, it had a very positive, mm. you know, impact, I would say. Yeah. Well, People were like, oh, wow, you know, you are an expert in this field for some reason, even though, you know. Yeah. No, no, I appreciate I mean, a, a lot of times as PhDs, we get stuck into, you know, critiquing, evaluating. Should I do this? Should I do this? That's, that's great. You, you want to have that mindset. That's what's going to make you an incredible R&D professional. But, but you also have to realize that people have put together a process that have worked, has worked in this case for thousands of PhDs for a reason. And it's, it's exactly. sometimes an excuse not to do the actual execution of the work. Critiquing the work becomes an excuse not to do the work, right? Critiquing the process, thinking you're above it becomes uh, the, the problem. And, and for a lot of you, that is your problem. Like, great. You can evaluate, critique, make, t- take something that's 99% perfect and try to make it hundred percent perfect, or you can get a job. You can get hired. You can follow the process that works. You use the resumes that work. Everybody's going to have an opinion, especially on your resume. I love that you brought that up, Adriana. Everybody's going to say, oh, I don't know. Maybe do this. Who are they? Are they experts? No, they're, they're, they're nobody. They have no idea what they're talking about. Like if it's a specific company hiring manager and they tell you what that unique spin is for that, that company's point of view on a resume, great, take that. But a lot of you, you're, you're, you're failing because you don't want to dig in and make the changes and follow the process. And the process is laid out here for you as far as a path to an R&D job. So Adriana, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on your success. Thank you. Thank you. Please thank Adriana in the chat box, if you would. And uh, Natalie, I'm going to come to you next, if that's okay. Can you tell me a little bit about your story? Absolutely. Can you, let me restate the question. So you were looking for some of the challenges both getting in? I should have restated it. Yeah. So the challenges that you had back, you know, before you uh, got hired, the, and especially kind of that, Whatever that darkest hour was for you, maybe it was a point of uh, rejection, not knowing where to start, realizing that you needed help, and then what changes you made to get hired. Sure. So before I joined the Cheeky Scientist, I would say probably one of the darkest points was when I was trying to send off a more academic CV to Mm. different types of industrial job openings, not realizing the deep, deep value of the network and how important those referrals are so that you can even get your your resume to the top of the list. I think a challenge for me was switching gears to that. One of the darkest challenges I had was definitely when I thought that I would simply stay in academia and I was banking on a particular position for a research uh, scientist to open up for me. And then at around the last minute, they ended up taking back that title and saying, no, we're going to keep you as a postdoc because it's actually more affordable. And it was a real blow because I remember thinking to myself, maybe I don't need industry. I'm going to get ahead in academia. And when they changed it out for me like that, simply saying, because this is just what's easier for us and not necessarily the best for your career path. It was a really hard blow to me. I remember really devaluing myself and thinking that I just, I'm simply not good enough. And that was a dark moment that honestly needed to come to pass for me because it gave me once I licked my wounds and felt a little better about myself, it gave me the internal drive to say that I have to prove my worth to myself and I cannot be validated by others. And so it really pushed me to then 
getting into the modules of the cheeky scientist and really looking into revamping my resume. I would say externally, that was the biggest thing for me to get through was that it's not about having like a four page, five page CV. It's about taking your resume and showcasing the very specific skill sets that highlight why you are the best fit for a very specific job description. We're not looking for a panacea anymore of everything you've done under the sun. We're looking to make sure that you're utilizing your resume as almost a marketing tool to highlight why you are the best candidate for any specific job description. And once I started doing that, I started getting a lot more phone screens. And that was really important because even if I didn't start making it to the very end on-site visits, I was getting more and more practice using the cheeky criteria, using the STAR method to answer questions and be more self-aware about how I was presenting myself. And from there, I was able to get, you know, hiring manager phone screens, and eventually I was able to get on-site visits and um, accept my job. And honestly, once I really battened down the hatches and started applying that criteria, also working my network, it couldn't have been more than maybe six months for me at least. I was at the end of my postdoc. I was recommitted to my internal value. I think I needed that extra kick. And once you really start applying some of the skill sets that are important for navigating an interview and navigating what an industry position is really looking for, you know, I was really able to pursue some successful employment offers. And that was uh, that was a really big deal to me because it really did validate that, you know, my value comes from myself. Mm. And knowing that I am an expert in my field, and as long as I'm able to present that message and communicate effectively my talents and my skills and why I am a good fit for an industry position, then, you know, that's the basic recipe. That's the, that's the foundation. And while it looks simple, I think Adriana made a wonderful point. Things that you would think are straightforward and simple maybe not might not be to academics, you really need to not be worried about having a 10 page list of publications anymore. And that's a difficult mindset to change. I'm Mm. going to acknowledge that. But once you push through that and trust the process, you're going to start seeing that your value is being communicated more effectively to a wider swath of people and not just your little slice of academia. And I think that's an important mental bridge to cross. And I was really happy both to get that that awful job offer uh, reneged from an associate scientist to a postdoc again, because it gave me the, the jumpstart I needed. Mm. And I was also really thankful to have a lot of the cheeky modules where I could sit down and say, what am I doing wrong? And yeah. that was a big deal because I didn't have to change who I was. I'm still a great scientist and I still have a lot of talents, but I was able to change the way I communicated it to stakeholders for my employment. And so it was a great mm. turnaround for me. Yeah, well said. Thank you. Please thank Natalie in the chat box. Natalie, I know you have a heartbreak too, and you are heavily involved in this upgrade of the R&D society. So I'm just curious, you know, and you, you know a lot of the members now, the other people that are on the board that have contributed, or at least through the group, you know, Clojan and Natalie, any, any words to say on, uh, you know, how this material specifically would have been valuable to you when you were first starting your job search? Absolutely. You know what made a big difference is that the the hierarchy of an industrial scientist and some of the goals are a completely different beast from what you might be doing in an academic lab. Mm. And you really need to be willing to dive into that culture of industrial R&D and understand what their goals are and what drives them and kind of the hierarchy of how this goes. You know, you need to understand what is the difference between a research associate and a scientist? What is the difference if you want to start advancing your career in industry versus academia? 
it's not about publishing a bunch of papers anymore. It's more about did you meet deadlines and do you have deliverables and do you have findings? You know, it's a really big deal that I don't think people were, I was comfy with before I entered industry. A negative result is just as valuable as a positive result. You need to know what therapeutic candidates are going to fail or what products are going to fail and aren't worth bringing to the FDA or aren't worth bringing to market. And I think being able to kind of have that maturity as an industry scientist to understand that if I get negative data and this doesn't work and we weren't able to recapitulate a paper, no big deal, it's not us. We know our science and we're confident in what we do and we're able to make uh, key decisions for stakeholders. So that was a huge thing. And I, I feel like the RDS material that we cover in the new modules, Isaiah, is really wonderful and kind of getting like a peek behind the curtain as to how is the industry research and development structure? What's important to them? How is that different from what was important to you in academia? And it just kind of helps. Um, it helps you to adjust your style of communication so that you can show you've got the talents and the skills to address both not just what academia wants because you've been in academia for years, but specifically you've got the skills and talents to address the needs of an industrial position mm. in science and that you have the industrial know-how to understand what the questions should be and how you should answer them. And it's yes. a different strategy and it's not, it's not necessarily difficult to learn, but it's important to know. And I think that's probably one of the best parts about the new slide decks that we have in the R&D society. You're really getting that insider information on how an R&D scientist thinks. Perfect. Thank you so much, Natalie. Please thank Natalie again. Uh, very, very excited to have you as part of this new upgrade. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Uh, thanks for waiting. And Nupam, some same question to you. What were the challenges you had in your job search, right? When things were most difficult and how'd you overcome them? To yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, I will follow up with Natalie, actually. So when I, this is my first job, by the way. So when I started and to looking for jobs, so from the beginning, I really don't have an idea that I uh, already mentioned, Natalie. So what is the difference? Why I'm, what I am looking for? Is the scientist one, scientist two, the R&D or kind of uh, what kind of position, what is my, uh, what type of skill set I should put there. And I know like, okay, this job just can look good for me, but I, I when I apply, I get rejected. What is the drawback of my resume? So, so that kind of things I didn't know at that point until I joined the cheeky scientist. When I get the clear point that uh, what is the job description, what is kind of categorized the different position in terms of your experiences, how you could apply, and this that the front line is resume. And like showcase your resume with proper skill set according to job description. That is very important in the first step and second step is connections. So we, so we also uh, learn from and different kind of modules like interview modules, behaviorals uh, to from the scientific to behavioral perspectives. So that kinds of all kinds of uh, uh, package actually helps me out from yes. the academy to industry setting. So. That I would say that very important to know before you apply for the job, what are you going to apply? Where are you going to apply? And how it related to your background? What is the importance uh, criteria that you can put in your CV or resume uh, and show them that you are the right candidate for them? So that kind of things as a kind of very, very important in the, in the selecting or applying for the job. 
that mm. actually i learned from lot of things from chiki scientists and i think that the now continue growing up their modules are everything yeah that's that's uh, always i look i continuously look their modules and i always learn new things from the every time so that's that's my points over thank here you. well thank you so much yeah i think the the point of differentiation with what you get in the R&D society is it's lifetime access and we can add new trainings to it and in this one in particular uh we've had we've grown the most aggressively because so many of you are interested in R&D jobs and that's it really is our specialty it's what uh, everything at cheeky scientist has grown out of so if you want to get into R&D you have to realize it's not something that you just get to get into because you work at a bench or because you have research experience because guess what Research is only half of the equation in research and development, which is R&D, right? How many of you have research experience? Type in R in the chat box if you have research experience. You have research experience, type in R. Great. It's going to be all of you, right? If you, I hope if you're getting a PhD, you have research experience, right? Even if you're researching information, you're not, you're not at a wet lab. Uh, okay, now look at this. How many of you have development experience where you've actually translated your research into a product where you've commercialized something or worked on commercialization or distribution. Type in zero if you have no development experience. Type in zero if you have zero development experience. You've not commercialized, distributed. Of course, there's going to be zero. There's zero development going on. I mean, well, you know, it's like 98% of development goes on uh, in industry outside or outside of academia as a whole. How are you going to get hired into R&D without development experience or learning to speak that language? You are not. That's the problem. That's why we're talking to our panelists here. We're going to go through all the information today. Don't worry. But the insights that you're getting from the actual people working in these roles now are, are gold. So I hope you're listening. Uh, Shabangi, thank you for waiting. Last question to you. So you just joined the R&D Society. What do, you, what do you love about it? So I think the society is kind of very helpful. Uh, I just applied my resume on the Facebook group and they revised that right away. Like my resume was like three pages long. And I only mentioned about my research experience. Like I thought I only lived in academia. So I thought that it's going to be really helpful in my application. But then they told me that, okay, you have a lot of transferable skills and they're really important in your application. So they modified they helped me in modifying my, my resume. So it's now completely changed. It's only two pages. And uh, they also informed me about the environment inside of industries and they provide kind of useful information and also preparing you mentally. Because actually I have applied for around 50, 50 applications I have submitted by handshake and I got like only two interviews and my three applications only got reviewed. Wow. And rest of around 45 applications were never got reviewed. So I have that kind of experience. Mm. So I don't know. So I think that more, it, it may be because of like more than 80% of uh, jobs they never post. They yes. on, normally get very referral. So that's basically the part I have learned by the modules that, uh, okay, I didn't know about this policy of getting referrals and yes. uh, that they have to post the jobs according to the law. Well, so, well, thank you so much. No, I, I appreciate that. And, uh, it's, exci it's exciting to have you in the group. And uh, you came on at the perfect time because now you get all these new free materials and upgrades for free. And for all of you, to, it's important for you to know that, look, your resume is a problem. It's not going to get you hired the way you currently have it. We give you unlimited resume reviews and edits. You get access uh, as well to uh, example resumes. You've heard that from a couple of our panelists. Uh, your LinkedIn profile has the same problem. Like you're, you're never going to, showcase enough technical skills for a job 
to get hired without having your resume and, and LinkedIn done correctly. And that's exhausting. So stop trying to do it yourself. Uh, this program will help you uh, do it and, and do a large part of it for you. So thank you so much, Shibangi. Thank you again, Adriana. Really appreciate your time. Please thank Shibangi in the chat box. Thank our panelists uh, all together and Anupam. Thank you so much. Uh, you. We're going to get started here. We always start with a panel because hearing from actual PhDs is the most important thing. Whether you know it or not, the problem starts here in your mindset. You think you're above the process. You play all these different scenarios. You think about how to like tweak or hack or critique a process or a system instead of following it, instead of executing. You think you're going to be this special person that actually gets hired just by uploading your resume behind your computer. Your entire job search comes down to getting frustrated in the lab or having a bad day or finding time to write your resume and upload it for a job you think is perfect. And that doesn't work. So what do you do? You're like, well, I'm just going to upload dozens and dozens of resumes, maybe 50, maybe 500. And that doesn't get you hired. And then you you don't know, you just distract yourself with more academic seminars, more of your work where you're not advancing your career, you're advancing your PI's career, right? Then you finally relegate yourself to doing a postdoc and say, okay, I'm just going to do this, but I'm doing noble work. You don't think there's any damage done. There is a postdoc damages your career. The longer you stay in a postdoc, the lower your salary trajectory will be, year, be for 15 years after finally getting into industry if you do. You're damaging yourself. Companies do not want more academic training. They want on-the-job training. All right, so let's focus on today's material. So if you look at these trends in R&D spending, most companies spend more on R&D spending than advertising now, which is incredible. You want to know why? Because guess what? In industry, it's innovate or die. What is it? What's the, what is it in parish? Uh, I think I just gave the answer away. What is it in academia? It's not innovate or die. It's something else. What's the... What's the little saying that we have in academia? What's the little saying that we have in academia? There we go. Everybody knows that one. Publish or perish. Your publications, though, in industry don't matter. Now, it doesn't mean you can't publish occasionally in industry. Industry is just not driven by publication. And a lot of you have a hard time with this. So you can see here in the 1980s, right? So 15% on advertising. Now it's 0.8. 1% on R&D. Now it's 7%. Now these are, you know, think about a billion dollar organization. So if you get a, 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 per, a percentage that's this chunk of the pie, that's a lot on R&D spending. And of course, the top companies spend much more on this, up to 20, 30% because it's innovate or die. So replace, publish, or perish with innovate or die. Realize that companies have the money to pay you. So if you have this excuse of, oh, well, you know, companies are hiring right now. No, you just don't know where the jobs are because like you heard from our panelists, 80% of the jobs are not posted online. Okay. Um, if you're not getting responses to your resume, it's not that they're not hiring or something's wrong with your resume or your PhD is not valuable. It's your resume is not structured correctly. Like you heard from our panelists. Okay. So this is very, very important for you to understand. Current industry R&D sector job search. So how is R&D driven? What drives R&D? Is it, is it the, the research? Or is it the research and the development, the commercialization? This is the biggest gap you have in your knowledge. Common interview questions are, you know, uh, let's say you tested XYZ products, you came up with this result. Uh, should we commercialize it? What are the questions you should ask? We had somebody just join the R&D Society, by the way. We did. Pragati, welcome to the R&D Society. Um, that's what that Bing was. So if you are... If you got that question at an interview, 
How would you answer it? Those are the kind of questions that you're going to get, by the way. They're not going to ask you questions based on whatever your sad little techniques are in academia. And they are sad, right? Why am I, why am I saying this? this? This is the comparison of academia versus industry. I have so many PhDs come to me and say, well, I got to put in vivo on my resume or my HPLC because it sounds so impressive. In fact, how many of you, your resume strategy has come down to this, has come, come down to you th thinking about what sounds the most impressive, what technical skills sound the most impressive? What have I done in the lab that has the longest word, is the most jargon for a technical skill, and you write that down? Type in me if that's kind of what you did for your resume. Honestly, you thought about the most complex or impressive sounding technical skills. You put them in your bullet points on your resume, and you wonder why you don't get hired. Do you think that individuals are running HPLC experiments or running Western blocks in industry labs, certainly in the largest company labs? Do you think human beings are doing those? Do you think PhDs are doing those? Or whatever your specialty technique is? You probably have to share an instrument. You probably are sharing reagents. You know, you're def definitely not using the top of the line instruments or reagents, most of you. Who, who's doing it, this stuff in industry? Who's doing the experiments, the bulk of the experiments in industry? Somebody tell me. Machines. Smoothie, good job. Ro robotics, huge rooms of robotics. Also, technicians with a bachelor's or master's. They want to hire you as a PhD for what? Your mind, your ability to manage people and experiments, your ability to understand that commercialization has to happen, that a project can carry on, and that if it goes onward, if it's positive, it's great. It has to be able to make uh, money for that company and help people at the same time. They're going to test you on this. You have an academic mindset. They're going to test you on the scope. Let's say they'll give you questions like, hey, uh, this product tested well. We're going to put it into commercialization. Uh, you know, our, our uh, market research shows that we'll have X amount of people buy it, and it's going to make uh, about $3 million for us uh, every year. Or we can spend you know, $1 million on advertising, and it's going to make $10 million for us. What do you recommend we do? What would you say? How would you answer that question? Nobody? Do I guess start calling off names? Nobody wants to have a guess. Adam, what about you? Arif, Ashley, Farouk. Research about it. The option that makes more money. Austin, that's exactly what most people say, but here they're, they're testing you on scale and scope. And we most of us have an, a limited academic scale and scope to where the largest, uh, guess what? The largest uh, grant, right? Or the one that we hear the most about is like an R01 grant, 1.2 mil. The, if the company that's asking you this and the ones that usually do ask this question, they make like billions a year in revenue. Billions, like more than the GDP of a small country. So another being it was. Welcome, Anik. So the right answer is neither. If this product's only going to make us a few million per year, we should kill it. Because a few million is not even worth, worth the, the work and the ethic to system, uh, the work and the, the effort that goes into systemizing it to use them, using our manufacturing, our instruments, and our commercialization, right? It'd have to be in the tens of millions, maybe even the hundreds of millions to be something that we put out into the marketplace. Certainly for like the large pharmaceutical companies, do you think that they're going to go through with a clinical three? Whether or not you think this is right or wrong, this is how it works. They're not going to go through with a clinical three trial if it's going to help, you know, uh, not enough people because they can't sustain it. 
These are the questions you're going to get. You have to talk to people working in these industries that understand how to talk about it. Like you heard Natalie Fredette, one of our panelists, start talking about this. Like her, the knowledge is, in, is astounding and you need to understand that. You have to have these conversations on a daily basis. It's a foreign language to you. It's the language of industry. How do you learn any foreign language? You get around people who are speaking that language. And that's what you get in the R&D society. So this is the vertical trajectory of a larger company. You have your research associates, scientists ones. You'll be surprised to know that a lot of bachelor's and master's level scientists are here. They can even be here and sometimes here just through working at a company for a long time. As a PhD, we created the R&D Society first and foremost to get you into jobs that are at the PhD level. Far too many PhDs. The whole reason we created this program is far too many PhDs were coming through our programs and saying, hey, we got hired. Um, and I'm like, okay, great. Well, how much did you make? Uh, what's the position? And they were getting hired in these lower level positions, working side by side, or even worse, beneath people with their bachelor's or master's. That's what will happen to you if you do your job search on your own, because you don't know the development stuff. You don't know the business acumen stuff. You're saying stuff that's eroding your ability to get into higher level positions without even knowing it. Our goal is to get you into these positions right out the gate with or without postdoc experience. And we do it all the time. We have people that are up in the director role too, on the board, who can show you how to climb this ladder before you even get hired so that you're starting at the higher level and how to map out a career trajectory for you. At the same time, there's lots of different roles you can get into. Instead of considering all of these roles, get into an R&D role and realize that you can move around. There's vertical motion and there's also lateral motion. You can get into a lot of R&D professionals that we've gotten hired got, have gotten into business development or they specialize more into application scientists or user experience researcher roles. And I'm going to go through some of those roles with you, some of the roles that we specialize uh, in in the R&D society. This vertical career progression, if it's a large company, right, that pyramid is just taller. Smaller company, it's smaller. If it's really small, it could just be, you know, a CSO and, and a, a few scientists. You could get hired as a CSO at a smaller company, and we've seen this happen, right? So larger companies have entire divisions devoted to specialized areas of research. Do you even know the area of research you want to get into? If you're just saying pharmaceuticals or biotechs, guess what? Each of those can be broken down into three subcategories, right? So do you even know? If they asked you, hey, what, what specific category of biotechnology does this division focus on? Sometimes they use they color code it. They have blue, green, and white. This is all in the program, by the way. Do you know? Do you know the answers? Now, let's look at the skills uh, quickly here. So relevant transferable skills. You heard a couple of people in the chat box. You heard our panelists talk about transferable skills. This is what they need to see. These exact words need to be on your resume and your LinkedIn profile today to get hired into an R&D position. Project management, critical thinking, research and analysis, adaptability, problem-solving, collaboration, cross-functional collaboration, cross-departmental collaboration. You have to get things done with other departments, people you have no authority over or who don't have authority over you. Project management. Who can list off six types of project management methodologies to me? There's R&D project managers. It's a huge role, but there's different types, right? Do you know if you're getting into a waterfall, an agile, scrum, agile fall, Six Sigma, PM Boke? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, type in oops in the chat box. Maybe you've heard those words, but you don't understand. You couldn't describe those project management methodologies. Also, research and analysis. How many of you can be honest and say, I don't think I even have the words research or analysis on my resume or my LinkedIn profile? 
these are the transferable skills that especially the initial gatekeepers, I was just, in fact, I was just talking to a, the initial gatekeepers are hiring managers, recruiters who don't have PhDs, by the way. I was just talking to a recruiter who was trying to hire somebody from our R&D society program. And they're like, well, it says they have to have in vivo experience. What is that exactly? That is what you're up against. They are not PhDs trying to hire you. If they don't see these words, they're not going to know what in vivo, HPLC, I don't know, any of your other techniques, knockout mouse, certain type of laser you're using, even programming languages. They don't just hand out top-level, high-paying R&D jobs to PhDs just because you have a PhD. A lot of you are learning that. Critical thinking. Are you even mentioning this? Your ability, this is really your ability to identify problems. I can find the right problem and solve it. And I can follow a specific structured process to work with the team to solve it. That's what project management is. I can get things done with people I have no authority over. I can work cross-functionally. A lot of you aren't even putting that you've achieved any sort of collaborative-based results on your resume. This is something that we will help you do. Flexibility, right? It's innovate or die as in be adaptable, flexible, be able to pivot. Most people hate to pivot. They hate change. Oh, but I got to do something different this week or this day. Are you adaptable? How many of you are pretty sure you had none of those key skills put on your resume or LinkedIn profile? Product and market knowledge. You, you've worked. The great thing about being a PhD and getting into an R&D job is you've probably worked with that company's products or similar products. Could be any sort of reagents, any sort of instrumentation. That gives you product knowledge if you've worked with multiple types of antibodies, for example. Front, one from company A, one from company B. Now you have market knowledge. If you've made a decision on when to use one antibody over another, that's, that's business acumen or commercial acumen. So there's lots of different types of positions. I'm going to go through the top. Uh, let's see how many I can get through. Top 10 or 11 positions here, both on the non-project management side and more on the research side and then on the project management side. So when you're considering which type of R&D job to get into, you want to look at these characteristics. Now, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of characteristics you could evaluate any job by. These are the ones through for most of our surveys and polls that we've done from PhDs, both before and after they've transitioned, that they've said they're the characteristics they use to evaluate the position by. High salary. So is it in the top 10% of salary? Is it travel intensive? Is it a field position or in-house? Right? Basically, you're working from home remotely, or are you going to be working in an office or eventually working in an office again? Innovative position, right? That's more on the research side or the commercialization position. There's in R&D, especially there's big R, little d companies that are doing more research than development. And then there's little r, big development companies are doing more development than research. We help you figure out which is right for you. Numbers heavy or writing intensive. So these are the overview of the uh, research role-based positions. I'm going to show you the research role-based ones and project management-based ones. And that's where we're going to end up today. So if you want to get in, you got to get in now. Oops, I think we just had somebody else join. Who was that? Yada, welcome. You're, you have access to the new and approved R&D society. So let's look at these different roles here. So this is the, the key. And you can see we have a, a at least three dots, I think, for all of them to help you get your bearings on which one might be right for you. There's a couple of these we want you to avoid. That's this one, the junior researcher role. Uh, the lower level uh, scientist roles that a lot of bachelors and masters individuals will get. You should be managing these people. 
if you do your job search incorrectly, they could still hire you. They'll just hire you in a lower level role making like $60,000. Okay, this is not what you want to do. You need to get into a better role. So these people, they, they, conduct, they, they design some of the experiments, they conduct them. Low autonomy, right? So they're micromanaged a lot more under more uh, layers of supervision. PhDs should aim for higher levels than this. Okay, that's the key takeaway here. Now, the principal researcher, we want you to get into this role. No postdoc experience is needed, by the way. Remember I showed you uh, Josephine, and there are many others who have gotten into this role through our training without postdoc experience. You can absolutely do it too. So th this is where you're leading the research efforts. You're managing people and the experiments, the robotics, uh, high autonomy. This is the role you should have. Imagine having the ability to do this, but without having to write all the grants. This is what you can get into, but you need a process for doing it. A lot of you are trying to get into, I mean, think about it. A lot of you are trying to get into minimum $80,000 a year positions, right? The average salary is 91,112. A lot of R&D, if you take out some of the, uh, some of the, the outliers, it's over $100,000 for these positions as a PhD. And you think you're just going to walk into this position because you have a PhD? You don't even want to pay a few hundred dollars in training to get access to people working in these roles. And you think they're just going to hand you $100,000 plus every year to have this kind of autonomy to be able to lead research. It doesn't work that way. They're going to test you rigorously. A lot of you can't even get to a phone screen. You need guidance to do this. You really, you need access to the network and the right training. You got to learn to speak the language, learn the gaps that you're not seeing. User experience researcher or analyst. Okay, so this is sometimes they're called user experience researcher. Sometimes it's called uh, a uh, consumer researcher. You're learning. Uh, you're doing a lot of qualitative research in addition to quantitative research. You're working at companies that are as diverse as you know retail, like Home Depot, hospitality, Hilton Hotels, uh, Apple right? Uh, 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 Intel. There's a lot of companies uh, that you, you wouldn't think have user experience researchers that do. Genetech, Pfizer. They want to know how, you know, patients, patients experience is another uh, version of this subtitle. For example, they, they need research done. It's great. You came up with a new formulation that's going to help somebody with XYZ disease, but they have to take a pill every hour. Okay, you got to do research and understand is that likely to happen? Probably not. So you're going to have, even though it's not perfect, you got to break the dosage down maybe into two, three times a day. Or can you make it into a, an aerosol so it can be taken easier? Like there's people that do this research where you're evaluating metrics on an app or a consumer website, right? To, to see how uh, people are navigating the website, where they're going, how they're upgrading their accounts, et cetera. You're looking at how the users, the consumers, or interacting with the company's products and services, treatments, drugs, et cetera. Very popular role. Uh, no matter what your background is, you can get into this. There's just a lot more qualitative research, right? Focus groups that are involved as, as well as quantitative research. You could be doing formulations and then working with a focus group on those formulations. Information software specialist. Right, so there's a lot of roles uh, right now for people that have research experience in a wet lab that are coming in to work at a company like a Genetech or a Novartis, and they need to help the data that's being generated on site or the data that's coming in externally be organized, put into a cloud-based platform. Some R&D departments have data scientists within their R&D department. It could be called a data scientist too. It could be called an informatics specialist. It could be called an R&D IT specialist. We're seeing information software specialists use the most, though, 
this is a role where you don't need to be a computer programmer. You don't have to have IT experience. You just have to understand informatics, understand how da uh, data is, uh, you know, maybe the architecture of different sites where data is stored. The security of data is a big part of this. They hire people with a life science background, physical science background, any type of background into these roles now, increasingly popular, and they're willing to teach you on the job. Uh, analyze company data and communicate the analysis, uh, analysis and results. So, right, sounds like a, a data scientist a lot too. The difference here is you're not just crunching the numbers, you're not just analyzing the data, you also are making sure the data is secure, you're helping with a lot of this informatic systems, and you might be uh, communicating some of this data, this technical data, to key stakeholders that don't have a technical background. So you're translating it into business data and uh, making sure that it's understood and actionable. Technical development specialists. Again, another similar role. There's a lot of convergence here. They use uh, you know, scientific, technical, economic, commercial knowledge to meet business objections. They work inside these technical teams. So this is where the word development is key. That's a key difference here between this position and the last position is you're helping develop infrastructure. You're helping develop a key systems to help data flow in from CROs easier and to be organized easier, to be analyzed easier, right? So you're looking at things more strategically. It's almost like business development, but in technology and in the R&D group. These are two roles that are really exploding right now. They probably weren't even on your radar and you can get into them. Application scientists. So the word, the key word here is application. You're helping a company apply, right? You're helping a company that let's say buys a new medical instrument or uh, a new research instrument or reagent or whatever, a, a kit from a company and you're helping them apply that product to their own research. You spend a lot of time teaching, working with the, 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 the buyer in the lab, et cetera. Okay. This is a very, very popular role. In fact, this is the number one non-bench role that PhDs get into in industry. Again, the number one by volume, the number one non-bench role that PhDs get into. High demand for this role. Most PhDs don't understand what, it, what, what you do. You get to learn about all kinds of different science. You get to talk about it. You work with, it's a lot of big companies who sell stuff to smaller companies that are run by like PhDs and clinicians or different research labs institutions. Right, so let's say you know I, I actually held this role. You know, and I was supporting a company that made uh, I was supporting BioRad. They made flow cytometers, so I'd go and help these different companies, uh, teach them about flow cytometry, the science behind it, help them set up their experiments and sort their cells. It's a great job, especially if you like if you like to uh, to teach and talk about science. All right, we're down to the last few minutes. It's your last chance to join. I think I heard a couple of bings. A few more people got in here. Uh, great to have you with us. We're almost done here. Uh, health economics and outcomes researcher. Okay, this is a very exciting role. A lot of PhDs don't know they can get into it. Uh, this is something where you're going to work with healthcare organizations and you're going to translate a lot of uh, research data into business data, maybe even financial data. You're going to be looking at how a healthcare or a pharmaceutical or other type of uh, company that deals with patients uh, is operating, right? How productive is it both in terms of financials and in terms of helping uh, patients, right? So you might serve on an advisory board. You, you might guide, you might uh, help guide policymakers. It's, it's a really an incredible role for PhDs and, and I, I recommend taking a look at it. Okay. So that's, 
That's the research-based roles. We're going to go through the project management ones really quickly. Who wants me to finish these four? Type in me. Who wants me to finish these four? This is a great uh, opportunity to get access to the project, uh, to project management consortium. Remember, you're getting that for free as, long as, as well as the R&D Society. All right, I'm going to go through these final four here. So R&D project manager. Extremely popular role. The key is you have to know how project management works. Academia never taught you. There was no structured process uh, in academia for project management, right? It was basically like, you have your project. Okay, good luck managing it. For agile project management, scrum project management, Six Sigma project management, PM Boke project management, waterfall, agile fall. There's all these different types of project management in industry. And what they do is they manage budgets, timelines, milestones, Right, and those converge to determine the quality of a project. This language I'm teaching, like you could be asked that, right? For any, you could be asked that for any R and D role, let alone a project manager role. Uh, this is a, a crucial, crucial role. You got to work cross functionally. You got to coordinate. If you like taking a, a pro, you know, like a project or let's say a new product that's going to come out at a company, all the way from conception through to market and support that product, versus on versus just doing the same kind of tests over and over again uh, for a particular. A variety of products that could make it all the way to commercialization, this is a great role for you. And certainly, if you like to coordinate and manage, if you're highly organized, you can get paid very well in this role. If you want to explore both, join the R&D Society because you're going to get the project management consortium as part of it. Ensure the project is being undertaken by the R&D team, understand the market needs and prioritize, collaborate. Great role to be in. Um, another role is business development manager. PhDs are getting into this role at an accelerated rate over the last few years in particular. Think of business development manager as a project manager, but the scope is much bigger. Instead of managing a, a project at a company, you're managing like a huge, the, the, the development of a whole new division at a company. Or you're saying, okay, this product is selling well in the United States at company or pharmaceutical company A. Now we got to go sell it in Europe or vice versa. You will manage that. So broad in scope, likely traveling to talk uh, to different parties. It could be remote now, but uh, it is typically an in-house position where you travel and come back. You have to be able to work cross-functionally in this role as well, which is why it's under the project management umbrella, right? So you're really, you're looking at more of the long-term business growth where a project manager that's a, a purest R&D project manager would be doing projects that would be, you know, maybe a, a month to a year, whereas business development, it could be several years and you're looking at business, new business opportunities. So you're looking to come up with the ideas too that a you know, company strategically might implement. R&D director. Why is this under project management? Because the higher you go on that pyramid that I showed you earlier, the, the more and more you're going to be managing people and uh, managing the strategic uh, direction of a lab instead, right? So we have a director at Regeneron that teaches this new R&D society, which is why I highly recommend getting into it. Where else are you going to get that kind of access? Uh, you can understand what they're looking at, right? They're looking to, they're overseeing like divisions, new pro, multiple projects. They're, they're monitoring teamwork. They're mentoring, they're collaborating with the directors and uh, they're reporting to vice presidents. These are roles you can get into. We've had a lot of PhDs get into associate director and director roles. This is what we want for all of you and why we give you lifetime access. So you're not just getting into your first position in industry, but your second or your third. And then finally, don't overlook quality assurance and or quality control managers. Supply chains right now are in the news. How many of you have heard of the chip shortage? 
right? We've been talking about this a lot. That's just one example of supply chains. And who is who are those supply chains managed by? Quality assurance and quality control. So a lot of companies, in especially R&D departments, are like, oh, crap, we need to hire people into QAQC right now to make sure that our supply chains stay intact and they're highly productive and, and performance-based. So I don't know if maybe you've worked with a Kaigen kit in the lab, right? So how who's checking on the molarity of those products and how they're packaged and where they're being delivered and if they're effective in the, the research that's being done with them. Who's looking at that, the, the overall uh, scope of that chain? QA, QC manager. It's a high level role where you're managing, you're looking at a lot of data, a lot of performance data, a lot of research data. Great role to be in, great project management role to be in. I'm Isaiah Henkel, the founder of Cheeky Scientist and the creator of the Cheeky Scientist Association. I wanted to quickly tell you that memberships into the association are available to PhDs listening to Cheeky Scientist Radio by using the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com, PhDs. G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll down to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. That's CheekyRadio, C-H-E-E-K-Y-R-A-D-I-O. Remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses. And the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D. Dot com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees, no recurring annual fees, nobody else offers this. phdsgethired.com, use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD and remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth.